Good evening. We're going to be continuing our um, discussion of Satan and his demons. Last week, as we talked about them, this is what I believe that God is doing. As we learn to deal with them, we'll encounter more of them. I think we look, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Well, one of them is peace, definitely, right? The Holy Spirit is called a spirit of peace. So then what does that make Satan? See, when I think of Jesus or the Holy Spirit as a spirit of peace, I don't see him as a peace like, hey, man, peace, love, not war kind of peace. I see him as peace as stillness in the inner man, right? A lack of chaos. One voice in the mind. So then what is Satan? Satan would be chaos. God is said to be a God of order, not confusion. So then Satan must be a God of confusion, not order. So when we see somebody come in and they disrupt in service, or they get loud and rowdy, or they're quickly angry, um, that's the spirit of this world that's in them, not the spirit that is of God. So we can kind of identify that if we pay attention to what the opposite of what the Holy Spirit should be doing in us, right? So it's interesting. We start talking about demons. We see two people come into church who I believe have demons. So last week, let's look at this gentleman we had. Last week, he came in, and he was physically combative, right? He came in, he threw his stuff down, and then he got into a little bit of a shoving match back there, and then he got pushed out of the service. All right? So we got to ask ourselves, somebody like that, will we encounter more people like him? What made him come here? Do you ever ask yourself that? What made him come here? He could have been anywhere. If he really wanted to use a restroom, he could have went anywhere. Why did he come here? We got to ask ourselves, why did God bring him? Or we could look at the lady that came this morning. Why did she come here? Why was she talking to herself? You think that's normal for somebody to talk to themselves? It says the man who had many demons, his name was Legion. The demon's name was Legion because there were so many of them. And the thought that I get from that is not only did he have a lot of demons in him, but I bet if he tried to think to himself, he couldn't. Right? He would think, I'm going to go left. Or somebody would say, I'm going to go right. Somebody would say, let's stop. Let's sit down. How do you live like that? You can't live like that, can you? Imagine how it would be to live like that. Well, these are the people that we need to save. And that we're going to learn how to deal with them more today. We'll review them from last week. We learned that Satan, um, he fell in the very beginning, Satan is considered the leader of the demons, and we gave different names for him. We talked about his activity, how it differs depending on the age that we're in. In the Old Testament, if we want to look at demons, the best way to look at demons was the idols or the false gods that they worshipped. And Jesus' ministry, similar to our ministry, well, notice that demons used to just walk straight up to Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus was really seeking them out. It was more like they were seeking him out. But Jesus' ministry was amazing to people because the demons, for the first time in history, 
could be stopped. In the Old Testament, think of it this way. In the Old Testament, Saul had a demon, right? We can all agree that Saul had some kind of demonic attack. They couldn't call anybody to cast that demon out. They just played some music and hoped that would get him better. In the New Testament, we wouldn't do that. During the New Covenant age, we see that victory has been given to the church. It says, there was a quote in Luke, it says, even the demons are subject to us in your name. During the millennium, we'll see that demons will be bound. And in the final judgment, demons will finally be defeated for all time. So let's look into demons and us. How do we relate to and deal with demons? First thing we got to ask ourselves, are demons active now? What's the answer to that question? (coughs) Yes, for everybody, right? Demons are active now. Contrary to what you would call naturalism or liberalism, there are two. Some people believe that everything that you see is everything that there is. So for those people, it's hard for them to explain the lady who comes in or the man comes in. They want to explain it all as mental illness. One of the things we as believers are going to have to start to do is be realistic about what mental illness is. Sometimes it is an issue with the brain, but a lot of times it's an issue with the spirit. Second thing we're going to look at is not all evil is from demons, but some is. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, and then we'll look at 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, 10. Who can read that for us? Go ahead. Yep. All right. And then let's read 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. All right. Now, I love our charismatic Christians, but I'm going to say something about them a little bit. You notice that in these verses, the first verse, what was the problem? No, what was the first um, section that we read? 1 Corinthians 1.10. What was wrong in that section? Division. Hmm? Division, right? Division. So Paul said, I rebuke the spirit of division in the name of Jesus. Is that what he said? He didn't. He didn't. What did he say? Huh? He said, I implore you in Jesus Christ that you agree. Right? That you agree. Now let's think about this very clearly. Here we have a division. What is told to believers? Should they reject a spirit of division or should they take the power of Christ that allows them to agree? Do you see where I'm going with this? Let me look at the next passage. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. We have a man who's doing what? He's sexual immoral with his dad's wife, right? Something that even if you heard about it on more, you'd be looked twice, right? 
That's what he mean when he say you rarely hear about this among the Gentiles. I mean, if you heard it on Mori, then you would be shocked by that. So, he rebuked the spirit of incest in the name of Jesus. Hmm? Is that what he did? What did he do? Let's say this. When you talk about sin in the lives of believers, even if demons may be active in it, let's think about it this way. There were probably demons who were helping to sow division among the believers in Corinthians, right? And there was probably a demon that made a man look at his father's wife and say, she looked good, talk to her, right? And there was probably a demon that talked to her and said, he looked good, talk to him. But at the end of the day, if that person was a believer, what was said? Rebuke the spirit or you have the power in Jesus Christ not to do that evil. And that's where we, exactly, and that's where we disagree, and that's where the scripture is not supporting these prayers that they sound very good, right? Somebody come and say, oh, Lord, we reject Satan in the name of Jesus to leave this room. You don't see that in the scripture. And if we don't see it in the scripture, we shouldn't be doing it. It's not the spirit of division that we need to worry about. It's a lack of submission to Christ that we need to worry about. It's not a spirit of incest that was bothering this man. It was his inability to battle lust with the power of the Holy Spirit that already had been given to him. Were demons involved? I don't know. I'm guessing they were. But that's not the issue. Let's think of it this way. When we deal with believers, we deal with the fact that they've already been empowered to live holy lives. When we deal with unbelievers, the priority is the gospel. Let's look at this, what this means. There are four things that this means. Number one is, there are no territorial spirits. And what do we mean by this? We don't need to say, we claim this city in the name of Jesus. Because you don't see the apostles saying that. There are no territorial spirits. We don't need to do that, right? Lord, cleanse this room in your name. We don't see that. Why? Because if a person we're dealing with is a believer, they already have the power in the Holy Spirit to do what they need to do if the issue is sin. And if they're an unbeliever, they need to be saved. The second thing is you don't see demands of information. A lot of people like to tell these stories where they had these drawn-out fights. And they demand that the demon tells them certain things. And they get in this struggle. And they wrestling with the boy. There was a story in the news where a man hurt a boy because he was trying to rebuke a demon in him. And he was wrestling with the boy, basically. Um, we don't see that in the scripture. We don't have to ask them for any information. We don't have to ask them, what are you doing here? What's your name? All these different things. We don't need to know that. Number three. We don't need to have any teaching based on anything a demon might say. I'm always intrigued by that. Somebody say, you know, I cast out a demon. This is what he said. <laughs> now, let's think about this real logically. What do demons like to do? They like to lie. So why should we be teaching based off of anything a demon might say? Right? 
It don't matter if you cast it out in the name of Jesus. You don't know if you can compel it to tell the truth or not. And even if you could, would you trust what you heard? Secondly, we don't need them when we have this to preach and teach off of. There is more than enough to preach on this for enough lifetimes of all of us that we don't need to go to anything else. Fourth thing is, it doesn't seem to be that there's no demonic strongholds that must be broken to empower the gospel. In other words, we don't have to say to ourselves, our church is not growing because we haven't defeated enough demons in Milwaukee for the gospel to go forward. We got to take down more demons in this city. And if we do that, we'll see souls pouring here like sand into a... Okay, we don't need to do that, right? We don't need to do that. It sounds good. You've heard it. I've heard people say stuff like that. Come on, who's heard somebody say something like that? Guess what? It's false teaching. Now, it's good intention false teaching, but it's still false teaching. It kind of reminds me of, you know, somebody who teach their kids about Santa Claus. You know what? They probably have good intentions in their heart. They want their kids to enjoy the holiday, and when they keep their little childish imagination alive as long as they can, right? Unfortunately, they're lying. <laughs> and you know what? The kid will enjoy Christmas just as much when you tell them the truth. In fact, more, because now there's meaning behind it, right? But I understand their intention. It's just they need to stop lying. Now, the Bible still recognizes demonic activity. And so let's look at these verses. Who's going to turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 20 for me? Uh, Mickey, 1 Timothy 4, 1. Nick, 2 Timothy 2, 24. Mom. All right? So we still recognize that there's demonic activity. Let's look at 1 John 3, 8. Who can turn that for me? Well, Chantel, did you get one yet? 1 John 3, 8. And then who else wanted to read a verse? Um, Mrs. Dick, Ephesians 4, 26. All right? So let's look at these verses and talk about them. The Bible still recognizes that there's demonic activity. 1 Corinthians 10, 20. Let's read that. All right, right? If we get involved with another religion, we get involved in a religion that is inspired by demons, right? Why would anybody be involved in any religion that's not worshiping God? Only to mislead them so that they would go to hell unwittingly, thinking that they're doing what's right. Only a demon could come up with something like that. So the thought is this. There are still demonic influences that can happen in our lives, we recognize that, right? But is the attitude to rebuke the spirit of idolatry or to not engage in idolatry? 1 Timothy 4.1. Deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. There are a lot of deceitful spirits and teachings of demons out there, right? So what's the response to that? Let's go to the sound word that we have. 2 Timothy 2.24. Patiently enduring evil. Why? Because people are under the sway of the devil, right? People are under the sway of the devil. Look at 1 John 3.8. 
You think about this. If somebody is sinning, they are captured by Satan to do his will. Ephesians 4.26 All right, be angry and do not sin. In other words, anger can be a gateway for Satan to operate in our lives, right? Somebody could step on my foot. Now I want to say something that I shouldn't say. Or even if I don't say anything, I want to think something I shouldn't think. So then what happens? Satan uses these opportunities of things that happen in my life to try to gain a foothold in my life, right? And then what happens? I ruin my testimony. Oh, man, you cussing now, I see Everybody will notice that. I guarantee you that if somebody else on the job cussed, people won't even care. But if I was the cuss, everybody remember that for the next 10 years. And so the whole thing about it is they're going to use that to remove your testimony. And who inspired that? Well, Satan did. But guess who allowed it to happen? Me. Because I let my anger get out of control to the point that now I damage my own testimony. All right? So sin can give Satan an opportunity to move in when he didn't have that opportunity before. So now we're going to go on to the next question. Can Christians be demon-possessed? Can Christians be demon-possessed? Well, one thing, when we look at what it means to be demon-possessed, I kind of don't like that term, demon-possessed, because it kind of, um, it's a weird term that we really don't see that much in Scripture. What I would like to say is, can somebody, a Christian, be as uh, possessed or as dominated by a demon as an unbeliever can be, and the answer is going to be no, right? So let's look at these verses here. Romans 6.14, who will read that for us? Brother Cliff, Brother Charles, if you could read um, Luke 13, and we'll skip around there, and then I'll read a little bit from Mark 5, okay? So the question is, can a Christian be demon-possessed? Well, as let's think of let's define what we mean by demon possessed. Can a demon come into a person? Demons can come into people, right? We know that's to be the case because we see that in scripture. Legion had lots of demons in him, right? And Sir Mary Magdalene is said to have had demons. People say a person had a demon. We even see people come into the church this last two weeks. We've had two people come and two Sundays in a row. And they, in my opinion, had a demon. Right? But we also got to think of it this way. There's going to be varying levels of demonic attack, right? So somebody can have a demon that literally is living in their inner man. But can Christians have that? Well, the answer to that is no. And let's read Romans 6.14. All right. Sin can't have dominion over us. Let's think of it this way. If we really do access the power that God allows us to have, sin cannot dominate us. But can sin still get in the lives of unbelievers? Yes, it can. So I believe it's the same with demonic attack. Can a demon straight up just possess me? No. But can I yield myself to be a tool of a demon? We're just like sin. To me, demonic activity is just like sin, right? As a believer, I can go out there and I can do drugs that I can get addicted to. And I might in some ways become a slave to that sin. But in my inner man, if I am employing all the powers that Christ has given me, 
I will not be a slave to that sin. But for a time period, it may look like I have been slaved by that sin, right? We've seen that in our own church, right? Look, can a demon straight up possess me? No. But sometimes believers can be in such a bad state that you know what? It's hard to tell the difference. But I will say this. The one who is filled with the Holy Spirit cannot be filled with another spirit. There's just not enough room for two spirits to live. We can only say this. If we yield ourselves to Satan, though, you almost got to ask yourself, what's the difference? Right? Imagine that I just go out there and I just decide, hey, I'm going to just do what Satan told me to do. What's really the difference between that and, somebody, and being possessed? Really? At the end of the day, right? So we as believers, we had to be careful with the thought. Because in one, in one part, we had to say this. We are definitely preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit. But on one hand, we are still capable of doing evil and doing wrong. And yielding ourselves to the forces of wrong. And in that, we should be careful. But guess what? We don't have to be scared. We just have to be careful. No more than we can yield ourselves to a spirit of selfishness. Right? Just like we could yield ourselves over to anger, yield ourselves over to lust, drunkenness, any other sin, and be tools of Satan in that way. I think the problem is that when we look at movies, we see this magical power that it seems like demons have, and we really are afraid of that. But you know what? I think the more scary power that Satan has is the power that operates where people don't even know he exists. Or they just do evil, and you don't even see the strings of the puppet master. That, to me, is more scary. The subtlety of it. But I don't think, no, Satan can't come in here and make me move my arm. He can't do that. How much can a demon influence us? It's similar to the question of how much can a believer fall into sin? Look at Luke 13. Brother Charles is going to read a few verses there. Well, if you look in Luke 13, and let's read verse 10 through 12. All right. What happened to this lady? Well, if you look at how it's described, it says later on in verse eight, 16, And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosened from this bond on the Sabbath day? Now, Jesus was very careful about who he called her son or a daughter of Abraham. Because the Pharisees tried to call themselves sons of Abraham later on. And what do you say? No, you have your father the devil. So what is he saying about this lady? This lady was one who seemed to believe. But she was still oppressed by some form of a demon. But think in mind this. What age was she living in? Before or after the Holy Spirit was given all to all saints? Before. Right? But at the same time, there's still varying degrees of demonic attack, right? Here you got a lady who simply has a physical ailment that it would look like it's just some physical ailment we can't explain. But it really was a demonic attack. Then on the other hand, you got legion, right? 
one of Brother Cliff's favorite characters. Look at Mark chapter 5, and we'll just look at a few things there, because we'll come back to these verses. Verse 3, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. Now, some people view this passage as scary, but I view this passage as victory. Because no one could stop this demon, and I believe it's kind of like our medical field. No one can solve the problem of demonic oppression besides who? Jesus Christ. And this man was no different. How was this man saved by this demon, from this demon? Well, look now. Further, I know we like the part where he got cast into a bunch of pigs and all that stuff, but that's really not the key. Look at verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. What happened to this guy? He got saved and became an evangelist. That's the solution to demon possession, right? Salvation. How can we recognize demonic activity? Well, if you look at this man, he was harming himself. He was cutting himself. It says in verse 13 of Mark 5, when he gave the demons permission to leave, they went and entered some pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down a stink bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And then let's look at Mark chapter 1, verse 23 and 24. Look at this. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have I to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What are ways that we can recognize somebody is demonically oppressed? Well, two ways. One is self-destructive behavior. Satan always destroys the things that he touches. That's just the way he is. I believe that a lot of the things that we say, well, you know, they were, they're just under a lot of stress, so she started cutting herself. We had to be careful with that. Because not only is it a sign of suicide, but I believe all sin is a form of suicide in some way. Because all sin kills the one who sins. And by which you sin, you will therefore die. In fact, that's the nature of sin. There would not be death if there was not sin. Adam wouldn't have died if he had not sinned. Sin kills us. 
So somebody who is possessed by one of the powers of evil is going to be killing themselves. What kills us? Drugs. What kills us? Violence. What kills us? One of the things that you'll note, and it just happened to us today, and it happened to us last week, when somebody comes in, and they can even say something that sounds good, but they want to disrupt the work of the Lord, that's not of God. Disruption is a sign of demonic activity. Chaos is a sign of demonic activity. Somebody who can't sit still is a sign of demonic activity. I've noticed some people, they come to church all the time. They're always getting up and leaving, going into the back. And I always got to say to myself, what is it about the word of God that you can't stand still and listen to? If you're really coming for the right reason, be still. The song says, be still and know that I am God. And I think that's in some ways a rebuke to many people. Because it's saying, stop all that hooping and hollering and sit down. Listen to what God is telling you. Sometimes you just got to take God's word in and let it swell in inside you and say, you know what, God? I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Sometimes you just got to meditate on it. Sometimes you got to chew on it for a little bit and say, pastor talking to me today. you know what, that's okay. But without a mind that is still, and a mind that is still will be a body that is also still. And if we are at peace with God, we will be still in such a way that we can be in a listening attitude. If we don't have a listening attitude, I got to say the God of this world is blinding us. Whether it be a demon or whether we just putting our iPhones on, right? Whether we playing with our tablets, whether we putting our earphones in, so we can't hear. All of that, to me, is blinding us from hearing the gospel truth. It may as well be a demon. I think in many ways, we block our own children from hearing the word of God because we bring so much for them to be entertained with. And I'm, not, I'm guilty of that, too. I mean, you look at the kids, and here they are on a tablet, right? But as they get older, that's got to go away so that they can hear the word of God, right? Because they're not going to hear the word of God. We want them to hear it by accident. I don't want them, my kids to be saved by accident. Right? Oh, well, they might hear a word here and there, and you know they might get saved, you know? Well, um, let's make them pay attention. Because how are we improved by the gospel? Because we heard it by accident, or if we come here with intention? Yes. Yep. We had to be careful of that, right? There's this thing where people want to have an experience at church. Now, I ain't going to lie to you. I've had experiences at churches too, right? I have experienced at this church. And every once in a while, the Lord will do a wonderful work in you to the point where you hear and, and you, gifts that you had just seem like they just amplify through the roof, right? I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but let's not try to catch that kind of thing as if the Holy Spirit is like this thing we're trying to catch. We're like, ooh, there he is! Got him today! Because that's not how the Scripture defines it. Scripture says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
which means it's not something that we just do by luck. It's something we do by being in tune with what God wants us to do. Another thing I'll note is that in some cases, Jesus healed, and in other places, he cast out a demon. Luke 4.39. Sometimes we'll see people and they will seem to have medical conditions. That could be a demon. It could not be, right? All we can do is pray that they be healed. Look, it says 439. It says, And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now this is Peter's mother-in-law. If he had to rebuke the fever, the thought is that maybe it was some kind of demonically influenced fever. That's a thought that I get from that passage, okay? But we don't always know what's demonic or what's not. All we can say is we're relying on the sovereignty of God to work in those people's lives, right? And we're going to pray for them. We pray for healing. We pray for rebuke. But one other sign that we can see of demonic activity is false statements of the gospel, right? It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, nobody can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. And somebody who's saved can't say Jesus is accursed. They can't say it. So somebody who is always making false statements of the gospel might be a sign that that person is influenced by a demon. The one thing I'm thinking about is this. How can we recognize demonic activity? Well, sometimes spiritual gifts will allow us to do that. It is said that there is a gift of discerning of spirits in 1 Corinthians 12, 10. Some people might have the ability in the Holy Spirit to learn how to discern these things. I don't know how that works. That's mysterious to me. But maybe that's your gift. Maybe it's not mine. But the whole thing about it is, when you look at all the gifts that are listed, aren't they just different abilities that we can all learn? Right? Aren't they different things that we can all do? Think of it this way. There's a spirit of knowledge. I mean, there's a gift of knowledge. And there's a gift of wisdom. Who won't be saved 10 years and not learn how to be wiser? Even if that ain't your gift, you're going to get better at it, right? And so the same thing with any of those other gifts, right? There might be a discerning of spirits gift. Somebody might be exceptionally talented in that gift. But guess what? If you save for 10 years, you should get better at your discernment as you get better, right? Hebrews says this, our spirit senses of discernment can get better as we use them. So as we encounter more spiritual activity, we will get better at it. But we will never have a perfect sense of always knowing what is demonic and what's not. Just like I will never be perfect at preaching and teaching God's word. Even though that's a gift that the Holy Spirit has given me, right? You will never be perfect at any of the gifts that you have. But as we do them, we should get better at them, right? Sometimes when we're dealing with somebody, we need to, in this counseling or discipling, we might ask them, hey, especially if it's a believer, hey, do you feel like Satan might be specifically attacking you, right? That's not a bad question to ask. And if they do feel like, you know what? 
I did. I thought it kind of sounded kind of crazy, but I have to. I can't lie to you. I feel like he is attacking me. That's an opportunity for us to pray, right? And how do we pray against that demon? Well, it's a simple prayer. It's not this in the name of the Lord. No, it's God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke the spirit that is troubling you, Brother Charles. And that's that. That's all it takes. It don't have to be dramatic. I don't have to wear a robe. I don't have to throw oil around. I'll just say, in the name of Jesus. And see, the other thing, too, is we got to recognize where does the power come from. It's not from us. It's from God. Think of it this way. When I confront a demon, it's almost like I'm standing in front of a semi-truck coming at me 75 miles per hour. I have no power within me to stop it. So I must be humble, right? I must be humble. I got to say, you know what? It's not a me, Brother Charles, to stop whatever it is that's suppressing you. But I pray in Jesus' name that he bind that spirit and that he remove it from you. And that's all I can do. And if there is a spirit that is bothering Brother Charles, it will leave because of that. Because I prayed in Jesus' name and under his authority, I say, Jesus, under your authority, you have all spirits bound. You have all authority over all spirits. Please, Lord, remove this spirit from Brother Charles. That's all we got to do. Because Jesus gives us the power to deal with demonic activity. We can look at many of these different things, but I've ran out of time. But the whole thing about it is, since Jesus has given us the power to do it, we have to deal with these demons. And I believe that many of these demons, when they come into church, let's next time try to confront that person and cast that spirit out and then give that person a message of salvation. Because at the end of the day, What's going to save them is not how good of exorcist I am, but whether they believe in the gospel. Right? If I cast out a demon and they go out there and they just start living better, they're still going to end up in hell. But if I cast out that demon and I say, listen, what oppressed you is something that stands against Jesus Christ himself. You need to repent of your sins that allow this demonic influence to get in your life and enslave you. You are still a slave to sin, even if you don't got that demon in you. And you need to repent now and turn to Christ. Only he can deliver you. That same power that I employed to drive this demon from you is the same power that you will now have access to if you are saved. You won't, I won't have any more than you'll have. So please come with me. Follow Christ, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the real exorcism, isn't it? That's why I don't like some of these movies. They get up there and they read these scriptures and they do all this stuff and they sit in a circle. And I never see the salvation message offered. And I got to say to myself, what good is that exorcism doing? That's a bunch of hogwash. It kind of reminds me, you know what it's like? It's like somebody who is obese. And you fix them, their heart issue. But they still, they right after you got done fixing their heart issue, they went to McDonald's. 
Now again, they're going to end up in the same place. And that's what happens with us. We have to confront these spirits, and then we also got to confront them with the gospel. It's the gospel that saves. So let me just summarize it in this way. I know I'm away over time, but let me summarize it by saying this. When it comes to believers, we can ask them if they feel that there's a spirit attacking them, and we can pray about that. But the reality of it is this. In believers, they already have the power to shake any spirit that is attacking them. James says this, resist Satan, and he will flee from you. Therefore, we all have the power to confront any spirit that confronts us. Well, maybe we may need help. Just like, for example, I might need help shaking off a sin that's troubling me, right? In that case, let's pray for each other. Let's disciple each other. With unbelievers, yes, we can rebuke an evil spirit that's in them. But more important than that, if we don't give them the gospel, that demon going to come right back. And the last thing is, we need to recognize that many of the things that our society is calling mental illness are, in fact, demonic oppression. And we're the only ones that can cure that. We're the only ones. And we got a world that's without hope, don't we? But we got the hope right here, right? So let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for letting us go through your word and your truth. We pray, Lord, that you would bless us to be able to confront these things. I believe, Lord, that you're going to give us more and more opportunities to deal with these things as your word goes forth. In your name we pray. Amen.